So I'm going to do the, the typical grandpa talk, finishing the race. <laughs> you know, I'm like 66, and I oh know, sure, don't look a day over 70, I know. But uh, <laughs> right early on in my walk with um, kind of not many fathers in the faith, it, it kind of, I've always been aware of the importance of helping others. So when I got saved, uh, kind of come out of a home with a stepfather, father just bailed on us as well. Um, I connected with the heart of God as a father. And immediately I felt God saying to me, you need to be raising up sons. You need to get involved with youth and that. And so that as a 20-something year old has always kind of been in my heart. And over the years always aware of the fact that there's incredible potential if we could see it, ask God to help us raise them up, and then to see them released. And Adele and I now in our 22nd year of leading Cornerstone Church's eldership team feel like we're in the sweet spot of seeing sons and daughters raised and released into the inheritance that they have. And I do believe that that is God's goal for everyone. Every church, as a base church, that's what God wants to see. But here's a deal. A lot of us don't make it to that place where we can be effective. And unfortunately, the body of Christ is weaker for it. So our go-to scripture is 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 to 20. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So this is strong language, you know, and we know that 1 Corinthians, Paul is actually saying to them, you know, your meetings do more harm than good. You know, he was being honest. He was, he, he was kind of bringing in the correction of God. For though you have countless guides in Christ, it's important to see guides in Christ. So these are, are not mavericks, but there's a lot of people who can give us advice and can teach us, okay? And we do. Today we have that kind of advice on tap through... You know, you can download your sermon. You don't have to go and prepare it. And if you don't have to search the scriptures out, all you have to do is type it in and Google will tell you exactly, you know, should divorce people remarry or whatever it is. And so we, we've got a lot of guides around us, but you do not have many fathers. I've toyed with that and, and kind of work, try to work through that the best way I can. And for me, the difference is relationship. It's a relationship. It's the, the fact that a guide will offload his teaching uh, and offload his theory or offload his doctrine, but the fathers who walks through the process with you, who helps you, who's honest enough to give you the correction, he's not just giving you facts. He's trying to help you apply the truth of God's word properly. And he says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so there is our sphere of influence. I'm not going to tell you how to dress or what car to buy. We can talk about it. It might make some interesting discussion, especially if, you know, it's going to put your family in financial pressure. But the idea of this, it's for the gospel's sake. We want to see fathers raised. And so we are in dire need of fathers in the body of Christ. Interesting, this is almost 2,000 years ago, they had the same problem. <laughs> so the perennial problem is the attack of the enemy is to take out fathers. So right now, kind of in his sights is this thing of taking out fathers. And so here's a, here's a stat. Say somebody put them together. Some American gave them to us. 
Great leaders know that burnout is not a badge of honor. 80%, there's an 80% dropout amongst pastors in their first five years, and only 20% of that make it to retirement age. So four out of 100 finish strong. <laughs> and it is shocking. And we know that ministry is perilous. It really is. I put over here, ministry is a dangerous profession. You know, and I don't mean, um, you know, danger in the sense that we know it. There's an emotional load. There's uh, a spiritual load we carry. Listen to this definition of leadership. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. <laughs> so, you know, I could watch a few sheep. I could look after a computer program, you know, be in charge of a few people on a construction site, but we watch over souls. And in that, there's a tremendous load that comes with it. I know tonight Steve is going to speak into that, and it's important. Uh, and we're going to stand before God and give an account. So you've got the enemy against you. You've got this, you know, this emotional load that we carry. So we're going to learn how to handle all of that and still live in a place of being fresh and encouraged so that we can lead God's people. That's why this is a calling and not a chosen profession. <laughs> so you, you have to know you're called because in that process of events that we're going to go through, you're always going to have room for discouragement. You always are going to have storms brewing. And oftentimes you've got to go through this first as an individual and as a couple so that you can lead the church through it. It might sound very disheartening, but I think under the anointing of God, with his wisdom, this is possible. We've got some extremely good examples. Usually at a talk like this, we talk about the bad examples. We can. Let's go through them. Let's look at some of those that bombed badly. King Saul. Saul blew it. Pride. Never inquired of God. Solomon. Distracted by women. Not them. Him. He served their gods. He trusted in his own strength. A lot of the kings of Israel, they ignored the word of God, ignored the prophets. They, there was no accountability. Judas had greed. Phargelus and Hermogenes. And you think, oh, who are those dudes? <laughs> they abandoned Paul and stole aspects of his, parts of his ministry. Interesting. What about Diotrephes? I think it's in 3 John. He loved being first. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it shocks me. How would you like to be Diotrephes? I believe he's, he was born again. So you get to heaven and you say, oh, so you're the guy that like to be first. Because this is, the word of God's going to be there for eternity. I hope God just wipes it away. Many modern day examples of men and women who are caught up in some kind of sin uh, or in some way have disqualified themselves. And it shocked us with some of the names of the apologist and some of the guys who've led incredibly big, powerful, influential churches. And to realize that the stage persona was not the same as what was in the heart. And so we rightly so, and it's not a point of pride, it's because of the Bible is why that way, we look at character. And for me, that is the most important thing in our desire to raise up leaders as we're looking for godly character. Uh, you can, you know, whatever, whoever God calls, he is going to equip to do the job. And too often you look at the is this guy uh, a kind of rock star? Will he, if he gets up and preaches, Will he fill the auditorium? Will the offering go up? Would the people be encouraged? Would they go away and say, we've had an awesome time? Or are we looking for the guys who have definitely guarded their hearts because, 
because it's the wellspring of life. And so there's a lot of those bad examples, but for us in our togetherness, there's a couple of really good examples. You know, for me, uh, Ray, um, who handed over the church in Maritzburg, I, I just am blown away at the consistency. We have, uh, I call him the old buffalo, Keir Taylor with us, who has just been consistent in serving God and his desire to see people saved. So we need more of these examples because there's a generation coming through alongside us and behind us that we've got to bring with us uh, into the inheritance that God has for them. So Acts chapter 20, verse 24, another scripture that encourages us, us this way. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And what is that to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I love it. So I don't want the finish line to be there and I disqualify myself. And we know it can be through, you know, like emotion. It can be through mental breakdowns. It can be through spiritual issues. It can be through sin. It can be through the physical. All of those are important. And we can go through and look at a whole list of those. But yes, the issue. We've got to work out ways in our togetherness of finishing this race. And you know, at 66, you kind of think, you know, what kind of legacy do I leave behind? I've often told our church, I think uh, portraits of the two founding fathers, Leon and Jim in the foyer, and then a bigger one of Jacob who made it all happen, you know, who, who kind of exploded and, you know, did all these great things. Or perhaps a fountain out there, you know, with water coming out of my mouth. And uh, an opportunity for people to be baptized in the fountain. But uh, I've realized the legacy, finishing the race for me, is to see sons and daughters raised up. And for us, yes, uh, one of the instructions to one of the churches, the Philadelphia church, is God says, I open doors. I want us to walk through every one of those doors God is opening. And I don't want to fall short of achieving what God has called us to do. Very important that. Uh, one more scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, that, uh, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So here's the issue, is we can't be too far away from the message that we preach. And you see, often I think the temptation can be to preach something that has no reality in our own lives, and there's no... I feel we, we just don't have authority when we do it that way. And so Paul is aware that it doesn't matter how big and influential you are as a leader and how much sphere and scope and, and reach, you, you still have to work on the basics. We, we never get beyond that. And, and it's the most dangerous thing to think that you are that person under the anointing of God. You know, because oftentimes it's, you know, people sitting there and, you know, we've had to remind each other is, is you know, women think you're bulletproof. You, 
you know, you're the ideal husband. No, I go home to, uh, you know, real issues. You know, we have a toilet and there are real issues that we have to balance our budget. We've got to work through our issue of our children. We've got to work through the times that we have breakdowns and that. It's all important. We never get to the point where we're kind of free of making the changes that we should. So I've done this a few times. Uh, there's a wonderful um, kind of, if you go and search out blue zones uh, on the internet, there you go. <laughs> you go and look for articles. Blue zones are areas of the world where people live. There's an inordinate amount of centurions and octonagerians and whatever the 90-year-olds are. They've just got many. And they kind of list the things, you know. Uh, and it's community, and it's belonging, and it's purpose, and it is olive oil and veggies and, you know, exercise and all of this, and there's, there's stimulation. But spiritually, if we look at Scripture, there, there's incredible encouragement, you know, about totally focused on the king of the kingdom, radically committed to the vision of knowing Christ and making him known, God in my heart, submission, relationships around me, where there's accountability, health, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, aware of where my weaknesses are. And that, that would come through developing relationships so that I can deal with blind spots, biases, and so on. Um, in a place like 2 Timothy 2.2, the scriptures addressed to Timothy, and are we in a place where we are helping others and others are helping us? Because that's the message of discipleship is I'm involved in others' lives as somebody's helping me with what I need in my life. Radically Bible-based, faithful persistence, contending in prayer, relying on the Holy Spirit, over-the-top commitment to giving God the glory. In other words, living with this understanding that it doesn't matter how incredible that meeting was and the results of my ministry, God gets the glory. So when we do that, we create another opportunity to be used by Him. But I want to focus on two issues in particular and just spend a bit of time around that. The first one is accountability, which by and large is missing, or if it is there, it is pseudo. And I've found in our lives as well, uh, kind of, we have to keep working at it. Uh, you can't just assume because you've got a couple of friends around you or people around you that'll hold you accountable that they will. Sometimes they actually think, you know, we should be holding them accountable and not the other way around. Uh, an example on our eldership is Adele and I soon into leading the elders after we transitioned. We told our elders we got some marriage problems. Yes, I tell you. Look, it takes courage to say that, but we said we're just battling, you know. Uh, the communication wasn't there. We were misunderstanding each other. And then we said, please pray for us. Two weeks later, three weeks later, nobody had phoned us or asked how it was going. We're the leaders. We should be bulletproof. We should be above, you know, the normal thing. So we've got to create an atmosphere and a culture of accountability. It is so important if we want to make the long run. How can a man get up on the stage, and I've seen him close his eyes, and he can quote out of mere Christianity or any other of C.S. Lewis's books, paragraphs, and he can give an exposition of the gospel or an apologetic in front of students. But yet in his own life, there was an absolute deficiency. And there was gaping holes and there was character totally out of line. Because there was no culture 
of accountability around him. And it seems like over the past two years, especially in the COVID time, God has kind of put this whole thing of rock star preacher under the spotlight. You know, and, and you know, there are ways we can deal with this, but we can't assume that we become so great that we kind of now live above mere normal Christianity. We need those guidelines. We need those challenges around us. And so I feel we've got to create a culture of accountability. And, and where does that start? For me, to God, to His Word, His will, hearing and responding to God. And, and that was King Saul's problem. It says over there that he never inquired of God. And the way he goes out is he goes and inquires of a witch, the one who actually it's weird that Samuel actually appeared in that little scene over there. But the, the issue is, is, is if we lose that ability for God to speak to us and, and then for us to respond, we're in trouble. Can we still hear God? Because that is the primary way in which we remain accountable. Because I don't want to kind of think, well, I've read my Bible like 20, 30 times. You know, I know it. I'm above all of that. No. Every time I read scripture, every time I'm preparing, every time I'm working through something in the, in the Word of God, I want to hear God and I want to respond. And so we have various methods. Uh, I do journal it. I write down the scriptures God is talking to me about. I work through it. I pray through it. And I trust Him. And it's interesting, down the road, sometimes those become points in some of the sermons and some of the counsel that we'll give. But I don't want to miss this opportunity of only using the Word of God so that I can prep and make sure my sermons are good. Now, I want my heart to be open to the challenge of God's Word. That accountability is vital. I want to hear Him. So you have this very bad situation in the book of Revelation, those chapters 2 and 3, where God is outside the church with the Laodiceans. Uh, to another one, I think it's Smyrna, He says, you've fallen asleep. <laughs> it's we can live deluded lives. We need the Word of God, and God to challenge us. Second one for me, accountability, is there she sits, <laughs> your spouse. Our spices, how do you say it, spouses, spice? <laughs> our, our, my spice girl. <laughs> we need to talk that way. I, I know initially when Adele would say, you know, Kind of when, you know, after a sermon, a lot of times, you know, some of the middle-aged, uh, you know, divorced ladies would come and talk to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not like I'm, you know, kind of flattered or anything. It's just you want to really help them. But she said, you need to just be careful because I need to be there with you. And, and this is the issue, is, is your wife and is your husband, are they able to speak into your life? because they should be able to. And will you also kind of talk to them about some of the battles that you're going through? I, I think there, there's definitely some things that I won't share immediately because I want to work through them. But I tell you, if it affects us, if it affects our sex life, if it affects our finances, if it affects our intimacy and our connection and the sense of future of where we're going, it is absolutely vitally important. You can't have a gap there. It, it, we are one flesh. And I have battled with that because, <laughs> I'll give you an illustration because it explains me. I'm dealing with a couple overseas somewhere, 
And whenever we get there, the first day of ministry, this pastoral couple is marriage 101. <laughs> Richard knows immediately who they are. And, you know, she will just dump. You don't understand this man. Blah, 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 blah. And she tells, uh, you know, me all about his trouble. And then you'll say, yeah, I don't want to talk to her because I know what she's going to say. So I don't bother. I just do it. And then just suffer the consequences afterwards. <laughs> and I think sometimes, for me, it's just the easier way. Just do it and then, you know, just handle whatever comes afterwards. But we need that partnership, that connection. We need that wisdom. My journey, as we've led Cornerstone, and has been a revelation of the wisdom and the love for people that Adele has and how it needs to kind of complement what I'm about and I've so enjoyed that. I first, I fought against it. I thought, you know, the man is the leader and he's got to be, because you're the leader, you've got to be perfect in every area. No, I've had to realize, wow, I can learn stuff here. And, and this isn't a kind of patronizing way. It's, it's genuinely leading together. And so empower your wife, especially Adele's very good with this. She can spot uh, when there are issues that are like, like a girl getting too close or whatever it is. She's very good with that so that we can work through this properly. The third one, the team around you. Also, you need to develop a relationship and a culture of accountability. Your team around you. Why have you got an eldership team? It's so that they can also help you come to maturity. Uh, that's what happens as we help each other. You know, we think of that weird example of Jacob. Laban helped Jacob come to maturity. <laughs> And so we need the, 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 the different opinions, the other personalities, uh, the other characteristics in that to rub against each other. Iron sharpens iron. And so I, I also don't want to, uh, as part of the plurality of eldership, be so far ahead that there's a big gap there. We need to be able to work that out. And then even your friends around you, do they have the right and, you know, to kind of, or you're unapproachable. Would they be able to come to you and say, you know, we're just noticing something about you? I know that irritates me. You know, I, I say, well, you, you don't understand. I lead this thing, you know. Do you carry the load of leadership? <laughs> and fortunately for some of those friends, they pointed out stuff that's important. Then our NCMI partnership. We invite them in, and that's the way this authority works. But when they come in, we don't listen to them. I think, here's the deal. This is my kind of understanding of NCMI culture. Wouldn't you speak into my life? We say that to a team guy, perhaps. And then from then onwards, we're on best behavior. They honestly think we're St. Marcus or, you know, there's, there's no issues. Now, I think the starting point when you have that kind of conversation and you feel God's leading you, can I help you? Because these are the areas where I'm battling. Can I just reveal a little bit about myself so that, you know, we can be real? And if you spot any others or ask me the right questions, I want to work with it. And, you know, that primary partnership, that's why you've heard it over the course of the three or four days that we've been together. We, at a stage, needed to go through a transition as a team because many churches said we NCMI churches, which there aren't any NCMI churches to start with. But they had that understanding because they subscribed to the vision and values, it was there. No, NCMI is a translocal team, and the way we partner is we have primary relationship. So there's a whole lot of guys, but there's one couple 
that I've got a primary relationship with, and then there's maybe two or three others where they can speak in in, those con in the various contexts. And so that there is, is a wonderful way to have accountability as well. And then uh, for us, we've got a few couples handpicked. We've prayed through it. We've thought about it. Uh, but we have to keep working on it. And these couples we meet with, and we'll talk about finances. We'll talk about ourselves uh, so that we can remain accountable. So I want to encourage you with that. Build that into what you're doing at an early stage. Any questions on that or something that you think would help? I want to move on to the next thing under accountability. Yes, uh, Francois or Rodney. Thank you, thank you, Marcus. Um, I think you've shared uh, some really, really serious insights uh, in your finishing strong. And I must say that thank you for sometimes being so vulnerable, say it as it is, because that's that's what we we, we need to hear. And in most cases, that's that's what we 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 don't we don't hear because people look at us and think that you are butler proofed that there's, there's no sin in us, we are, we are pure. And at the end of the day, they don't see that we are human beings. We live among human beings. And I don't know whether it's because we, we pretend we want to be seen to be flawless. And uh, as a human being, we can't be flawless. You mentioned a point, uh, at the point of, uh, of uh, um, before I go to accountability, but the first point I want, I want to talk about is the, uh, the need of fathers in the body of Christ. The, the, the devil is at the point where it's, uh, it's very much aware of the power of, of a man. And then if you go in most cases, in, in most case, uh, churches, when you go there on a Sunday, you find 70% of the people, explaining the black churches, are women. Men are not there. Why? Because the devil takes them out. He's there to take them out because he knows that if I can destroy the head, then the body is powerless. Which to me was very, very remarkable that you mentioned that. And then on the, on the question of the accountability, that you must create a culture of accountability. And again, that the, it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge. There are things that... Uh, um, I don't want my wife to know about. We are in this together, but there are things that I'm doing outside that she, I come home as though I'm, I'm that superman, I'm not that holy man who does not have issues. And at the same time, I've got those issues. Instead of opening up and saying, hey, look girl, I think I, I, I need help here, I need help here. To me, what you've said that is very, very important. I, I, it, it is true that we, we've got to be vulnerable and, and share it as it is. And the, the last thing that I want to talk about is um, um, and the, the issue of, of, of building teams around you. Uh, yo, this is a tough one. Because A, it starts with uh, the level of trust. I mean, we look at in your situations, oh, Marcus is blessed, he's got all this strong team around him. Uh, but we guys were still studying. Uh, you, 
you, you're with this guy today, tomorrow you realize that he's got flaws in this area, he's got flaws in this area, and gosh, how can I trust this guy? How can I be close to this guy? I think we, 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 need, we, need, we need the Holy Spirit to help us in many areas. Because like I said, you are not going to find a perfect person. Only Jesus Christ was perfect. All what we need to do, we need to do work with what we have and then keep on praying, trusting God. Wonderful. Thank you. You know, it's interesting with the 2 Timothy 2.2 thing, I realized I would love, like Timothy, to have Paul say, my dear son, Marcus. I've just longed for that. You know, it's like a cry of my heart. And I realize in the Father, I can get it. So I'm not here as a casualty of, you know, bad parenting and so I've got a permanent limp. No, in God, I've got it. And I've learned to become a son. But then I've realized, now I want to be part of the solution. And I want to be a spiritual father. Not imposed as it develops in the local church. Barry and I handled the case once of a guy who is a preacher. He's got a TV uh, channel and uh, he came to us and he had basically got himself into trouble. Uh, he was a man in his 60s. He wasn't dealing with issues in his marriage and he had gone to go and visit a prostitute. <laughs> this is a guy on TV preaching and all of that. And so he had gone to one of our lawyers to get help. And you're going to think, well, this is weird. Because where the brothel was, there was a club, and the owner was blackmailing him, saying, I'm going to tell the press if you don't, you know, give me 50,000 bucks. And Barry and I sat there in our chores, like just, uh, we couldn't believe what we were hearing. It sounded like some weird TV series. Anyway, the first thing we said is, does your wife know? He says, no, I've already prayed and fasted, and God's forgiven me. I don't have to speak to her. Does your eldership know? No, because I've prayed and fasted and I've sorted it out. So all I want to know is how can I get this issue of this you know, blackmail sorted out? And we said, no, for us, you need to go home and you need to speak to your wife. You need to then get your elders together so that they can deal with it. And then that was the last we saw. But consistently he was on TV preaching his particular slot on a Sunday. So where we are, that's where we start this culture. You know, we can't just become, you know, critics of what's not there. Now, if you're there, you can start to raise up sons and daughters. Okay, quickly, I want to go through this one. No more questions, Rodney. That was more than enough. <laughs> Is the issue of, are you teachable? Are you approachable? Are you open to challenge? And are you willing to change? Because that will continue to set you up with a future and and it will help you because if you can develop that as a lifestyle then you're going to always be in that place uh, where you're able to continue to lead God's people and you don't become a casualty I had a 72 year old guy he was a retired AF, uh, assemblies of God preacher he used to come to Cornerstone sit at the back he loved it and then one day I don't know for some strange reason in the sermon we talked about lust and you know what? This poor guy was in a place where his whole ministry had just stopped because he couldn't deal with this issue. And you know what he felt? Is there was nobody around him to help him with that. Uh, and this was the very first time he had opened himself up. And when you trace it back, it's 20, 30 years old. Now imagine if he could have made those changes then, how much of a greater future there would have been for him. So... There's a number of one, two, three, four, five, six times the Bible talks about the need to change. 
And I want to give them to us because the context will help us understand that God's desire is that we be fruitful. You know, if this is where you start, then he wants you to be fruitful. You know, the, the baton wasn't handed over to, jo, uh, to um, Joshua so that he could carry on moving around, walking around the same mountain. It was to take people into an inheritance. And so with God, he wants us to keep changing because that is the hope that we have. Here's a scripture. Uh, this is how it goes. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. <laughs> Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Only God is immutable. And so guess what's going to happen? As we kind of move ahead in what God has for us, you're going to be challenged with this. You need a change. As you read the Word, as people challenge you, as you sit and listen to a sermon, and are you going to open yourself up to that, or are you going to be that proud that you don't give in to what God is saying until eventually we become the law. We become the Holy Spirit. We become the Word of God. And so, for me, here's the way in which we are going to be able to remain in a place of fruitfulness and humility before the Lord. First one is Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. And it goes like this. You have never been this way before. If we say we're a prophetic people, we should be able to say that. Because God's got us on a journey, and like with Joshua, finished with the mountain, now you're going through the river and you're off into the inheritance. That's the prophetic way forward. And the, the, the goal of this is we're going to take our inheritance. And so, in other words, right now, God is challenging some of you, and I know I've chatted to some of you, these opening doors. He's saying, I need you to be a base church. I need you to think this way. Are you going to make that change? The Irish have that saying that you can't repetitively keep doing the same thing and expect different results. You see, God is going to show us stuff, and we need to be able to make those transitions. The, the, the usual phrase is, man, I remember the good old days. Remember when we sang proper songs, and there was good music in the church, and they had wonderful sermons in that. Get, that's finished. Moses is dead. That's what the scripture says. Joshua 1 verse 1. Moses is dead. Now, let's follow the ark, the presence of God. That's the transition. Because as we follow God, he's going to help us transition into taking the inheritance. The second one is from Matthew 9 verses 14 to 17. We need to make wineskin changes. Often the wineskin that contains the wine becomes the immovable thing, the unchangeable thing. We've always done it this way. And then we miss out on what, what God wants to do. So what's the issue over here is that wine skin can burst and then the new wine doesn't get to the people. The whole purpose of that illustration is that the wine can get to the people. So as we sit and we praying before God and we saying we as a church, we want to reach the unlost and that, and if it's not happening, God is going to give you some instruction. Maybe you need to stop doing things that way. Maybe there's too much religiosity. Maybe you are, uh, you know, you can't be approached as a church. You're not loving them. Maybe you need to just change that meeting and, you know, go and have a prayer meeting in the park in your local area, whatever God's going to lead you to. But the issue is we need to get the wine to those who need it. The third one is John chapter 15. This has been probably the go-to scripture on how God has dealt with us in his love and kindness during the COVID time. And that is, he cuts away dead branches 
and he prunes fruitful branches. Now we know when we look at the natural in winter, when they do that to a grapevine, the only thing left is that stalk of a stem. And so the only important thing worth bragging about, worth rejoicing in, and worth celebrating is Jesus, right? Not even thinking back to a season of fruitfulness and saying, wow, weren't we good? No, the whole reason why we bore fruit is because we were in the vine. And so these seasons of pruning and cutting back is to refocus us on the one who died on the cross, who makes life possible, who gives the increase, who opens the doors, who anoints us, and that's Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask, are you going to allow the Father to cut away dead branches? Some of us, we put loads of time and effort and money into things that are not ever in a thousand years going to produce a grape for the kingdom of God. Let him cut it away. <laughs> and then those areas where you have flourished. And, you know, like for us, perhaps, we planted churches so we can just rest on that. We, the church planting church. No. Teach us, Lord. Where we, you know, how could we be better at what you've called us to? And let him cut that back so we can be more fruitful. The next one is Isaiah 54, 1 to 3. The prophecy that if you go into any church and prophesy it, you're accurate. It's the go-to for any church, which is stretch out, strengthen, lengthen, and the rest. So there is always that encouragement on us. There's more God wants to do with us. There's a greater capacity. He wants to grow. He wants to multiply whatever there is. And so I feel if we don't, even at times, do those things prophetically, and we sing that way, and we expect God to move that way, we're going to shrink. And we don't shrink ourselves into, you know, accomplishing much for the kingdom of God. It's we want to grow. We want to open our curtains wide. Where am I restricting you? I want to throw the curtain open. I want to invite the world in. I want to embrace what God showed me. The goal is our capacity for growth. And then Acts 3 verse 19, I want to read it. Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. That is the revival scripture. You know, any revival. You know what it's a revival of? People turning their hearts to Jesus. And we know as we go along, there's going to be a constant need to address the sin in our lives and to come back to God, no self-reliance, no flesh involved, I want to come back to him, the, the excess, the, the, the kind of grace message that talks about no need to repent has deluded us because I need to, where there's sin, address it that way. And, and every time I do that is a revival of Christ in my life. And so I want to take cognizance of the fact that if this is a sin, I want to repent and I want to get it out. I want to get the forgiveness, and I want to see the brightness and the glory and the goodness of God shining in that. And you know yourself, if it's not there, if the joy is squashed and the light is not there and you're feeling that all the time, there's a good chance that could be an issue. I like the illustration of Martin Luther sitting at his fireplace every night with his pen or his quill and his piece of paper, and he would write his sins of omission and commission. The things he forgot to do, the things he 
did that he shouldn't have done. And then he folds him up, throws him in the fire, and he says, thank you that you separate your sin from me as far as the east is from the west. I think those are very important times. And then, of course, the favorite scripture on change is 2 Corinthians, and we'll end with that, 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, present, continuous, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. And so that change results in a Christ-likeness. And, and you know what? That's the best thing we can do as leaders, as those who will lead God's people, preach, and so on, is become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's how we finish strong, is to allow these changes to take place in our lives.